0: Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. All right, well, our text for this morning is 1 John chapter 4 verses 1 through 10. So if you have a Bible, you can turn it there. I'm going to read it for us and then pray and then preach. So 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses, That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So Father, as we open your word and, and speak these things, we don't just want these to be words we hear, but truths that work their way deep into our hearts and are the center out of existence out of which we live. So as we preach, God, open our hearts to hear the truth, because as the Bible makes clear, our hearts often don't want to hear the truth. Open our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. What is true, and who is worth believing? These are questions we are asking and answering every day of our lives, although very rarely do we actually slow down to explicitly ask, should I believe what this person just told me? This summer, I was on a long road trip with my family where we saw several national parks. And we were driving from Dinosaur National Monument, which is in Colorado and Utah, up to Yellowstone, or actually up to to Grand Tetons National Park first. And on the drive on the way, it it was very remote. It was beautiful. There were mountains, very few people. But as we were entering into Wyoming, a gate had closed the road that we needed to get to our destination. I panic, but thankfully, Google Maps. So I pull out Google Maps, and it, it turns out the next shortest route for our destination so the road straight ahead was an hour to go. We had an hour to go. The next shortest route was like four hours. Because you had to drive around mountains. Now it's like 6, 6 30 p.m. I've got four children in the back of my car, and the thought we're going to get to our next destination at 11 p.m. is brutal. But then I see some bikers driving on this closed road. They drive around the gate, they slow down, and I wave them over, and I ask them, why is the road closed? And they tell me, well, there are some forest fires ahead but it's probably okay now. (laughs) What is true? Who should I believe? The state of Wyoming and the experts that understand forest fires very well and have made the determination that no one should be driving on this road and therefore they have closed it? Or some random nice bikers that I've just met that gave me the news that I want to believe? What is true? Who should I believe? We rarely ever ask these questions directly when someone tells us something, when we see something on television or hear it on the radio or hear it on a podcast. But every day we are deciding what is true and who is worth listening to. And John in 1 John 4 says, There are some people who are not telling the truth. And those people even claim to speak for Jesus. But they are not telling you the truth. So this this morning, four points. I don't know if you've ever heard a four-point sermon. Congratulations. Everybody thinks they have the truth. Point one, why we believe lies, how to fight lies, and the truth about God. So first, everybody thinks they have the truth. Point We live in a day and age when everyone is very skeptical of doctrine, of dogma, of claiming to have the truth. That the central truth of our age really is don't force your truth onto other people. The worst thing you could do is claim something is true and then try to force other people to believe what you believe is true. And the best example of this is the well-known parable about the elephants. You've heard this. That the world is like uh, many blind men who stumble upon an elephant. The world religions, the world, the, the many ways of seeing the world. It's like blind men stumbling upon an elephant. One man grabs the elephant's trunk and holds it and says, uh, Elephants are very flexible and thin and small. Another man grabs a leg of the elephant and says, No, elephants are thick and sturdy and immovable. And so all of us have a part of the truth, but no one has the whole truth. That's the element of our, or the assumption of our day. There's just one problem with that. That parable assumes the person telling it is, actually, I have all of the truth, and I see better than all of the world religions, than all of the other ways of seeing the world, that what sounds like a humble approach, we all have our own truth. You decide, uh, don't force your truth on anyone else is actually claiming to have the full truth yourself that you know better than everyone else what the truth is. And so all I want to say is we all have a doctrine. We all have a dogma. We all have a truth. We're claiming explains the entirety of the world. The only question is, is your belief in the truth actually true? Does it correspond to reality? I mean, just just to, to make this practical, this idea that the only truth is that you should keep your truth to yourself and should not try to force other people, that really all we should try to do is be good people in the world, that, that truth actually means that Jesus was not a good person because he tried to force his truth onto other people. Mother Teresa in that definition that our broader culture assumes was not a good person because she tried to force her truth onto others, that we all have a truth, Everybody claims to have the truth. We all have a doctrine. And so the question for all of us, whether you believe or don't, is not do you have a doctrine, because you do. It's, is it true? And really this sermon is, is going to mostly be about verse 1 where John says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see where they are from God. The Christians should not be gullible people. Who hear something and immediately assume it's truth. But we test. We test the spirits. So wherever you're at today, all, point one, all I'm trying to, to say is we all claim we have the truth. Point two, why then do some of us, or I would say all of us, why do we believe lies? Now you might think, well, yes, there are people who don't tell the truth, but I am good at detecting lies. And my response to that is, no, you are not. There's a psychologist named Dr. Timothy Levine who did a long study He wanted to understand how certain CIA agents or FBI agents could detect a criminal that was lying to them. Why are some maybe good at that or some better than that than others? But what he found was no one is good at it. There were no people he found that were uniquely gifted at finding the truth. And Malcolm Gladwell unpacks this in one of his writings and he says he says this about human beings. We do not behave like sober-minded scientists slowly gathering evidence of the truth or falsity of something before reaching a conclusion. We do the opposite. We start by believing and we stop believing only when our doubts and misgivings rise to the points where we can no longer explain them away. So if you read John saying, test the spirits, and you're like, yes, that's what I do. I don't believe anything false. I, I'm a sober-minded scientist who only lets in what is true. That's not true. So the question then is, well, why do we believe lies? And obviously, I can, we could can talk a lot about that. I'm only going to say two things for this morning. The first is we believe lies because we have a brilliant enemy. Notice John doesn't say, test the ideas, test the arguments, test, the, test the, the different religions or different visions of the world. No, he says, test the spirits. And because an idea throughout the Bible is that behind every religious idea is a spiritual realm that we want and long to connect to. That every religious idea behind that, John is saying, the scriptures say, is a spiritual realm. Now, I realize for some of us who maybe grew up in the church, that's totally normal. Others of us who, are, who live in a very scientific day, like that just sounds weird and creepy. But let me, let me defend it for a second by pointing out that for at least the last 40, 50 years, there was an assumption that the more scientific we got, the less religious we would become. It's called the secularization thesis. The more science could explain the world, the less religious the world would become. That was taken for truth in sociology 30, 40 years ago. Today, almost no one agrees with that. Because as science has increased, spiritual connection religion has not decreased at all. Organized religion has, to some extent, for many reasons. But a longing to connect to a spiritual realm has not decreased anywhere in the world. You see that in study after study after study. And that's because we long to connect to something beyond ourselves. And that's what John is saying. The ideas that, you, that are thrown to you behind them is a spiritual realm. What John is saying is that there are elements of that spiritual realm that lie to us, to connect us to something that will break us and enslave us rather than free us. As John Mark Homer writes in Live No Lies, his, and he's talking of a devil, a Satan, his tactic is the same basic formula on repeat. Isolate, then lie. Pick a lie that plays to a disordered desire. Get your mark to take a relational step away from God to redefine good and evil for himself. Done. Now, Maybe that's too much for some of you, and that's okay, but for those of you who are Christians, the idea that we are just these sober-minded scientists navigating the world without any, any chance of falling prey to lies by an enemy is naive. John says, test the spirits. The second reason we believe lies is something that Comer alludes to, which is that we, we believe lies because we, we desire. We want something. That we do not believe lies that have no emotional value to us. So for example... If there is a supernatural enemy, and I, I believe there is because I'm a Christian, but if there is, he, his attack on me is not going to be to come to me and say, Tim, your beard is awful and if you just shaved it off, you would have an emotionally satisfying and rich and happy life. That lie will not work on me because I know that is a lie. I know the beauty of beards and I believe very deeply in them. He does not lie to us in that way, but he finds something that we want and then uses that as the way to get to us. So last week I, I said, uh, or uh, two weeks ago, that the best definition of sin I've ever heard is that sin is the, unwilling, or is the, the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is my deepest happiness. Sin ultimately is I need something to make me happy and God is trying to keep me from that Happiness, So I'm going to transgress that law or that boundary God has set because he does not want me to be happy. And that is ultimately how the enemy uses our desires to lead us away from God as he finds something we want. And he plays to that disordered desire and leads us away. So to unpack that, I'm going to give two case studies. Two ways the enemy has done this very clearly in our culture you just need to prepare your hearts because I'm going to push into some territory that's probably going to be hard. Case study one, sexual desire and freedom. We have a number of truths our culture takes for granted now about our, our world and sex. That actually sociology has proven are false, but we continue to believe are true. So one example the idea that divorce is actually liberating for women, that marriage is a patriarchal institution that oppresses women and that no-fault divorce will lead to women being more empowered and more free in society. That's the, the truth our culture tells us, but what study after study has shown is divorce has been more empowering for men. It's given them more power, more influence. It's been uh, a greater strength for men than for women but our culture continues to believe divorce is good and freeing for women even though it has been proven to be the opposite seconds cohabitation living together before someone gets married the assumption today is that to have a good marriage you need to live with someone before you get married to test to see if that's a good spouse or not and that's a good way to determine if that person is a good partner and that is a good way to set up a marriage that's assumed to be true in our culture today the reality is cohabitation living together before marriage greatly increases your chances of divorce again been proven in study after study and even though we have proven it to be false we continue to believe it as true cohabitation is good and then third and and finally this idea that sexual freedom is good and will increase your experience or make give you a better sexual experience through your Life That the more sexual partners you have, the better. Well, what we know now is that in the act of sex, human beings bond with one another through the chemicals released in our brains. And what that means is the more partners you have, the less, capability, the less capable you are of experiencing intimacy with another person, which is why study after study has shown that people who have the most sexually satisfying lives are those who've had the fewest partners. But again, that, our culture does not see that as... True. Three different areas that things assume to be true out in the broader culture. We actually have the science that have shown them to be false and yet we continue to persist in believing things that are not true. And Mary Eberstadt in her book, Adam and Eve After the Fall defines all of this by saying this, contrary to conventional depiction, the sexual revolution has pr- proved a disaster for many men and women and its weight has fallen from Falling the heaviest on the smallest and the weakest shoulders in society, even as it has given strength to those already strongest and most predatory. There are actually far more intense examples I, I could, have, could have given, but we don't know each other well, and I don't know how far I can go on a Sunday. But what she says is, is shown throughout her book. It is our sexually freeing culture has empowered predators and abusive men. But we don't see it. Because our culture has believed something that is not true. And I've sat down with people and shared the, many of those studies. Hey, if you go down this path, it's likely to lead you in this direction. And the facts do not matter because the heart wants what it wants. That's case study one. Case study two politics. In 2011, the Brookings Institution did a study that found that 70% of white evangelicals believed that a politician who commits an immoral act in their private life will negatively impact their public service. It's a deeply biblical idea. If in private, you abuse your power and cause suffering on others, if you mistreat women or children, then if you get your hands on more power, it's likely not going to go any better. That what you do in private is a great indication of who you are going to be in public. It's a deeply biblical idea, and in 2011, 70% of white evangelicals agreed with that. In October of 2016, that number was reduced to just 28% of white evangelicals who now believed that a moral act in your private life will negatively impact your public service. What changed? Did the church have like a deeply profound theological reflection that, you know what, who you are in private doesn't matter anymore for your public life. Were there conferences or were there books? For, did I miss them? What changed? Where 42% of Christians abandoned a biblical idea in just five years. The only thing that changed was the person that many of us wanted to vote for had a very deeply troubling private life, and we wanted what we wanted. So we abandoned a biblical principle to have what we wanted. And to be clear, that shift really mattered. I'm 38, pushing in on 39, so I grew up in Sunday schools where I was told politicians, their private life matters. And then 20-ish years later to hear never mind, it doesn't, has really affected people my age. It's a major re- That specific reason is a major reason I know many of my friends have walked away from church. Now, to be clear, I'm, I'm never going to be interested in telling you who and who you should not vote for but what I am very interested in is that when we walk into the voting booths, we walk in our full Christian cells with all of our values intact. The biblical vision and kingdom of God intact. Knowing whoever we push that button for is not representing that kingdom, but I will not transgress any of my kingdom values to push any button for any man or woman. But we want what we want. And so politics... On both the right and the left, Christians have abandoned biblical teaching and values for earthly partisan political agendas. We believed lies. Now, I've only named two case studies, and we're, I, we're, we're all feeling it, right? I haven't even gotten into money and power and all other courts of things where we could all be feeling even more uncomfortable. All I'm trying to say is we believe things that are not true because we have a brilliant enemy and we also have things we want and desire in the world. Most often good things that we want and desire in the world. And that enemy will twist those things to get us to abandon God so we can have the things. And not the, the creator who made them. So that's why we believe lies. Thirdly, then, how do we fight them? And I want to say uh, three things to, to that. The first is you have to name the fight you're in. Like, name the reality of the world in which you live. So I know you're all wondering, what did your, what did the pastor do when the gate was closed and the state of Wyoming had told me? <laughs> I've already confessed to one crime, like, a couple weeks ago, driving kids before the 90-day rule was up uh, when I turned 16. Well, that's, I mean, I'll just keep rolling. So, I, uh, so I'm like, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, I can either drive four hours and get to our destination, or I can drive around the gates, and, and these bikers have told me it's all okay. So I... I drove around the gates. <laughs> my wife protested, but she was not driving, so <laughs> I won that part of the argument. Um, and we drive. And for like 30 minutes, we're good. There's nothing. And, it's, you know, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind how tyrannical the state is and how they th- let us make decisions for ourselves, all those good things. And as I'm thinking those things off in the distance, there's, there's smoke uh, rising up. And we get a little closer, and I see a... a a decent number of fire engines, a number I've never seen before, certainly not in the middle of nowhere. And as I get closer, uh, they're off the road. So I can tell we, we're going to be able to drive by. Okay. But it's clear like there was a f- legit fire that now was slightly under control in Wyoming. And so, so we made it past, which means in the argument between my wife and I, technically I was right. She's not in here yet. I don't know if I'm going to say that in second service or not. I probably will. But uh, had, had I been wrong and there were out-of-control fire, uh, forest fires all over Wyoming, like that could have been incredibly dangerous to me and my family, that who you believe and what you think is true has enormous consequences to your future. And as Christians, the first thing we need to do is just, we just need to name. We are in a fight that we are, we are not equipped to handle alone, that we should name the fight we are, we are in. John alludes to this in, in verse 3, and I just want to name this because I know everybody wants, is curious. But in verse 3, John says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. That is the spirit of the Antichrist. Some people love that word, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. And, and if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I skipped 1 John 2, verses 18 through 27, which also deals a little bit with the Antichrist. And the reason is, is John, when he, when he uses that word Antichrist, he's referring to the fact that throughout the, the Christian history and in his day already, there were people that were teaching anti-Christ teachings, things contrary to the Orthodox Christian faith. We heard in verse 3 what one of those reasons was, is there were some Christians in John's day that were now denying that Jesus had come in the flesh. We don't know precisely what that means, but that's what they denied. And so the reason why we haven't pressed into that language here is because I'm more interested in what our anti-Christ spirits are today, things from within the church taught and practiced that are anti the spirit of Christ. Who Jesus is and was. In John's day, it was, uh, if you read through 1 John, there were primarily four things that uh, were, were false teachings. One is that Jesus uh, had not come in the flesh. Two, that Jesus was not the Son of God. Three, Jesus was not the Messiah. And fourth, that Jesus did not provide sacrifice for forgiveness of sins in his life. If you read through all of 1 John, you'll hear John connect those things to the false teachers we don't have quite the same issues today, which is why we haven't dwelt specifically in what 1 John dwells in, because we need to dwell in our antichrist spirits today. But above all, what John is saying is Christians should not be gullible people. We test the spirits. We name the fight we are in. One of the best books I've read in the last several years, is a book on pastoring and the best chapter was a book on spiritual warfare. It's by a Lutheran pastor named Harold Sinkbell and he writes this. He says, You know how easily your heart can deceive you. How quickly thankfulness changes to greed. Appreciation morphs into envy. Gifts become idols. Hunger escalates to gluttony and healthy sexual desire spires out of control into ravenous lust. The combined pressures of devil, world, and flesh ensure that constant vigilance is required. We're forever being seduced into misbelief, despair, and other great shame and vice. So name the fight you're in first. Second, never fights alone. As John says in verse six, he says, we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of air. There's a couple of things going on there. I'll name the the second one in a second. But the first is this is communal language. John is saying listens to us. We. It's plural language. And so our pursuit of truth should be in a communal aspect where actual flesh and blood people are with us in that pursuit of truth. But one of the reasons why Lying, I think, we are more susceptible in our own day than past days, is you and I can construct an entire community of people who will only feed us what we already agree with and we don't know them. Through podcasts, through social media, we create an echo chamber of things we want to hear, which increases the likelihood we will fall for lies, because we're only listening to people we already agree with, and none of those folks are ever going to tell you something you don't want to hear, because then you'll stop listening. It's one of the things that makes my job different than... A podcast host. I at times have to say things that we don't want to hear. First, that I've got, I better have worked out in my own heart, because we're a community of people seeking to follow the way of Jesus, not people gathering to remind ourselves of how right we are together. And yet, that's what a lot of what passes for truth-seeking is today, is we gather voices around us that tell us what we already want to hear, And I just want to say, the person most likely to look you in the face and say you are falling for a lie is a person you know and who's in your life, who loves you enough to look you in the face and say don't go down that path. And all the online voices, all of the voices we surround ourselves with that already agree with us are not going to tell you you're wrong. And you need people in your life to tell you no. And you are wrong. And I think one of the great determinations of the quality of your life will be whether or not when you hear those things, you listen. Never fight alone. And thirdly and finally, dwell in the truth. So when Paul says, uh, we are from God, whoever knows God listens to us. You have to remember, John was an apostle. He knew Jesus himself. And if you go back to the very beginning of 1 John, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we saw with our eyes, we looked upon, we touched with our hands. He's talking of Jesus there. So when John says, whoever knows God listens to us, I think he's referring to his apostolic authority. He's like, I was with Jesus. I know what he said and taught. Therefore, listen to what I'm saying. And if you listen to the apostolic authority, you are of the truth. And for us today, we don't have anybody walking around the earth that was with Jesus that's 2,000 years old, but we have this book, which means this book sets the pace and guide for our lives. We dwell in the truth. But again, how many of us in our search for truth, this book in community and this book in our prayer times in the morning equals the other voices that come into our lives? As John Mark Homer again writes in Live No Lies, many of us spend hours every day filling our minds with lies, cutting off our minds from God's spirit and truth in only a few minutes each morning, if that, filling our minds with truth and resting in the spirits or presence of our Father. If we don't dwell in the truth, we're easy marks. So may we dwell in the truth, never fight alone, and name the fight we are in. But, but where I want to end us is fourth, the truth about God. So I, I began by saying we all have a doctrine. And the reason why a lot of people don't like the idea that, that people will force their truths on others is that often leads to religious violence or religious oppression because religious people take their central truth and try to force it on others. Um, and I agree with that critique. I see that in a lot of ways from Christians and from non-Christians, people who use the religious truth to harm other people. So the question then becomes not, do we all have a truth? I already said we do. Yes, we all have a truth. The question is, for Christians, what is our truth? What is the central truth as Christians that we believe and hold to? So we've been saying this entire series, verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is Love. That distinguishes Christianity from every other faith, religion, world tradition. No one speaks about God this way, but it gets better. Verse 9, And this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. The central truth of the gospel and of us Christians is that God loves people who do not love Him. And if you're a Christian, I just want to ask is that the central thing people pick up about your faith? If they know you and the only thing they know about you is a Christian, would they say Christianity is a faith where God loves people who do not love Him? Or is it something else? People, listen, they can know a lot of things about a lot of people, but what's the, like, we all have like a thing we're known for, right? For me, it's the beard, right? That's why I joked about it earlier. That's the thing. Like, what's the thing people know about the fact that you're a Christian? Is it that you love people who do not love you? Because you are loved by a God who loves you when you did not love him. So I don't want you to leave this sermon making two mistakes that Christians commonly make. The first is that you don't test the spirits. You don't name the battle we're in. There are a lot of gullible Christians that if someone sounds nice, is dressed nice, tweets nice, I'll listen to that person and and, and become one of their followers. And as I've said, there are a lot of Christians, and it's not my job this morning to name them, but there are Christians with large, or seemingly Christians with large platforms who are speaking things that are anti-Christ, that are against the spirit of Jesus. And too many Christians are too gullible to following those voices. But secondly, probably more for us, at least for me in this room, is that I'll leave this sermon becoming a warrior for truth. Right? I have the truth as a Christian, so I, I'm gonna squash anyone who doesn't believe it. I'm gonna call out all the false teachers. And that work is needed, but, but in, a, in a culture that is seemingly obsessed with canceling other people who say the wrong thing, I want the church to be a place that embodies what John says about God in verse 10. That this is love. Not that we love God. But that he loved us and gave us his son. God loves people who do not love him. That's the fundamental truth we're trying to communicate to this world. Is wherever you're at in life. Whatever you've done. Whatever your past is. It's irrelevant. God loves you. Because he loves people who do not love him. And if that's true, like if, if that's the center out of which I, I live my entire life, that God loves me even when I did not love him, why would I ever bend my heart towards a lie to have anything else but him? Like where would I spend my time if I believe God loves me even when I don't love him? Would it be mindlessly scrolling my phone, getting through my Netflix queue, or would it be dwelling in his word? If I believe God loves those who don't love him? Would I ever sacrifice my convictions for an earthly partisan political agenda? Would I ever? How would I treat people who don't yet love Jesus as if I'm the truth holder and they're the naive fool? No, may this, the one thing that emanates from us Christians is God loves people who do not love Him. See, the bottom line is y'all, all of us, me included, are easy marks for lies because we want to be loved. We want to have security in a very broken and difficult world to live in. And with the gospel, what we're told is that Jesus loves us even when we do not love him. God loves us even when we do not love him. And what could be more secure than that? What could give you more joy than that? To know you're loved no matter how you spent your week this week. You dwell secure in the arms of your Father. What could give you more more security, more freedom, more life than that? And I think that's probably why Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let us pray. Father, every one of us in this room, me included, I believe things that are not true, not in keeping with reality as you have created it. But God, we, that, an argument doesn't get us there. Right? Speaking the right words doesn't get it. You have to get into our hearts and turn us to the beauty of the cross and Jesus, loving those who did not love him, to turn away from a world that is built on anger and hate and reviling against your enemies, to a uh, a world of loving those who don't love us. I want to live into that world. I want to be that person. I'm not. And so God, make us, make me into that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.